This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, November 27th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Open borders, abortion on demand, and the victimhood culture. Those are just a few features of the new far left. And our guest today, David Limbaugh, says they're making America into an unrecognizable place. In a new book, he calls on Americans to fight to preserve the country they inherited for their kids and grandkids. We'll have him on to discuss. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating in iTunes, and please encourage others to subscribe. Now on to our top news. Former White House counsel Don McGahn is appealing a court decision from the D.C. District Court that said he needs to testify in the impeachment hearings. President Trump tweeted about the matter Tuesday, writing, The D.C. wolves and fake news media are reading far too much into people being forced by courts to testify before Congress. I am fighting for future presidents and the office of the president. Other than that, I would actually like people to testify. Don McGahn's respected lawyer has already stated that I did nothing wrong. John Bolton is a patriot and may know that I held back the money from Ukraine because it is considered a corrupt country. And I wanted to know why nearby European countries weren't putting up money also. Likewise, I would love to have Mike Pompeo, Rick Perry, Mick Mulvaney, and many others testify about the phony impeachment hoax. It is a Democrat scam that is going nowhere, but future presidents should in no way be compromised. What has happened to me should never happen to another president. Well, President Trump is donating his third quarter salary to fight the opioid crisis. ABC News reports that Trump gave the $100,000 that he was paid for the third quarter to the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health. That office oversees public health and programs aimed at fighting opioid abuse. President Trump pledged to forego his presidential salary during his campaign, and he's given to several government entities, including the VA and the Surgeon General's office. Why isn't U.S. life expectancy increasing even as medical progress continues? A new study published in the Journal of American Medicine digs into the data and finds that it's the death of middle-aged Americans that's on the upswing. The study finds that among Americans ages 25 through 64, there is a higher death rate in recent years. Why? The research points to, among other things, drug overdoses, suicides, and alcohol abuse. One of the study's authors, Stephen Wolf, a doctor and director emeritus of the Virginia Commonwealth University Center on Society and Health, said the notion that U.S. death rates are increasing for working age adults is particularly disturbing because it is not happening like this in other countries. This is a distinctly American phenomenon. President Trump officiated the annual turkey pardon on Tuesday. The two lucky turkeys... Their names are Bread and Butter. Here's what the president had to say. Thankfully, Bread and Butter have been specially raised by the Jacksons to remain calm under any condition, which will be very important because they've already received subpoenas to appear in Adam Schiff's basement on Thursday. It's true. Hundreds of people have. It seems the Democrats are accusing me of being too soft on turkey. But bread and butter, I should note that unlike previous witnesses, you and I have actually met. It's very unusual. 
Well, Hollywood still doesn't get it. Actor Robert De Niro, on an appearance on Stephen Colbert's program, criticized President Trump. Yeah, well, it's like a pall around, you know, you certain things. It's like living in an abusive household. You feel you don't know what's going to happen next, what crazy thing is going to happen next, what's, what's going to make you say, what, what the hell's going on? Yeah, because only like, one angry person gets to say what is real. Exactly. the truth is. Exactly, and the truth is not, not from him, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And... And he is, uh, he's a fake president. Now, what do, you, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? Well, he calls everything fake because he knows he's fake. So oh. he's projecting. He's projecting all the time, yeah. Accuse them of the thing that you know that you did. That's some, somewhere deep down, I don't want to get all psychological, but that really is what I feel it is, you know. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's it. Up next, a conversation with David Limbaugh. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger and bigger government, it's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at heritage.org. We are joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by David Limbaugh. He's a lawyer and a number one bestselling author who just published a new book. It's called Guilty by Reason of Insanity, Why the Democrats Must Not Win. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So you just published this book. Uh, Can you start off by telling us about why you decided to write it? Just a little bit of the background um, when you started putting pen to paper. I wrote five political books, and then I wrote four Christian-themed books. And I was getting ready to complete the Christian set when my publisher asked me if I would go back to politics for this book because of the urgency of some of the political issues uh, that we're facing now and the existential threats that we face in our culture. And so I agreed to do that, and I researched it and wrote it. Uh, to really address some of the threats I do believe we face, how crazy the the extreme left has become, how out in the open they are, and how important it is for us to fight back, those of us who disagree with their worldview and their prescribed solutions. So you open the book, and you alluded to this um, in the beginning, but you talk about this threat from within. What is that, and do you think mainstream Americans are aware of this threat? I think they're increasingly aware, but what it is, is, as I said, a completely different worldview, different, a different vision for America. It used to be said that each of the political parties agree on a common set of goals, but just disagree on how to get there. I never really did buy into that, but it is manifestly false now. The left stands for socialism on the economic front. They're anti-capitalism, two sides of the same coin. They believe in forced equal outcomes rather than equal opportunity. They believe in and do practice identity politics instead of treating people with a colored blind eye and honoring Martin Luther King's 
maxim that we should judge people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. They now demand that we look at everybody according to their external qualities, race, gender, class, whatever. Uh, we reject that. Uh, they, so they have a fundamentally different vision for America. And, and it also, of course, transcends the political and race and identity politics issues. But, but it also goes to the social issues such as abortion. Now, the, the left is now full-throated advocates of abortion on demand through the point of birth and now beyond, full-blown infanticide, beyond partial birth abortion. And they're not only not apologizing for it and, and doing it grudgingly, claiming they want to make it rare, which is always a lie, because if an if a, if a unborn baby is just a clump of cells, there was no reason to make it rare. But now they admit that it's a life and still advocate killing the baby in the womb anyway and celebrate and glorify what they're doing. It's a horror show. It's a level of evil that we haven't seen in this country ever. A celebration of evil by advocates wearing shout your abortion on their T-shirts. Professors going around to colleges talking about the moral good that comes from abortion lighting up buildings in New York with ghoulish pink to celebrate the passage of an abortion bill. So another one, open borders. They are absolutely, the left is absolutely lawless when it comes to our borders. They don't even, I don't think, even approve anymore necessarily the concept of a nation state. And they certainly reject America as founded, and they have bitter resentment against America to the point where they want to flood the borders, give illegal immigrants sanctuary in these in various cities. They want to abolish ICE, the very enforcement arm that would protect our borders, and they want to give welfare and health care benefits to illegals, and they place them above people already in the country, especially at a time when we are in serious uh, national debt. I could go on and on and on, but there are differences uh, in authoritarianism uh, and intolerance, which they claim we are guilty of, and they are. There are so many differences that we, we don't look anything alike in terms of how we view the world. And if, and if the left prevails in this country, they will bequeath my kids and grandkids, which I don't have yet, a, um, a an America unrecognizable to our founding fathers and even to our parents, for that matter. You were mentioning illegal immigration, and in the book you talk about how the left is trying to abolish America through illegal immigration, and you detailed some of the uh, ways they're trying to do that through giving illegals uh, free health care. There's a multitude of other ways. Why do you think that this is something, um, basically, I guess the left, they're coming at it from a more compassionate angle, but they're you know, undermining this country that's so great by trying to do that in this process. So why do you think they never recognize that? Well, I, I don't give them as much credit as you do for their good, their professed good intentions uh, because they don't have any concern for the people that this is harming. And we see it every day with their advocacy of open borders. And it makes no sense. No nation, no self-respecting nation, no self-loving nation has ever survived if it doesn't regulate its borders. We want to, those of us who believe in American sovereignty and American exceptionalism, and that America was founded on a unique idea, 
grounded in liberty, believe that we ought to encourage people that do come in to learn our Constitution, to learn civics like they do in the naturalization process, to learn to appreciate and love America, to become patriots, instead of becoming unassimilated, balkanized groups that are resentful of America. And why do I think the Democrats want to do what they're doing? Because as part of the, the same MO with their identity politics, they want to divide people on the basis of race, religion, color, nationality, ethnicity, because by dividing people and alienating people, you secure votes. And they, they have taught immigrants coming in, they have taught minorities falsely that conservatives are racist, that we're uncompassionate, so that when their ideas on substantive policy fail, they resort to these catcalls, these slanders of racism, and they automatically have millions of voters. And so they want, they want to flood the, the borders, not just because they disrespect national sovereignty, but because they have a, a bunch of uh, millions more of Democratic voters guaranteed. It is very cynical, but it is very obvious. That's why they are favor amnesty. Uh, and this is it's too it's too obvious even to debate. Yet we're going to hear denials, uh, and and that's just what what you deal with. The Democrats are in justifies the means. They're not about the rule of law. They're not about fairness or process. Uh, they are just about winning votes and and getting power. And a perfect example of that, before I finish this point, is their cynical opposition to voter ID laws. It is, it is so patronizing and insulting to suggest that minorities, particularly blacks, can't be expected to produce their ID to show proof of who they say they are in order to vote. They claim that that's somehow voter suppression. So if, if they will do that and they will let allow borders to be unprotected, and, and provide sanctuary cities and abolish ICE, they'll do pretty much anything. You devote a whole chapter in your book to what you call the victim hierarchy, talking about how Americans today are always getting offended. They're feeling cheated from one right or another right or something that they think is entitled to them. Where do you think that this victim hierarchy stems from? Well, I think it's from the left ment- leftist mentality, which says, again, we ought to look at people on the basis of their external qualities, their race, gender, color, and the rest. And we should view it through a prism of intersectionality. And that is this leftist cockeyed theory that says we must view people on, on, in terms of their privilege, historical privilege, and their oppression, not as individuals, but as groups, so that some people have multiple oppression. So it's no longer enough just to look at the plight of a black person and say he's been oppressed and therefore he should be entitled to more protection than white, legally and socially and culturally. Now, you have to look beyond that and say, what is the intersection of the multiplicity of oppression he or she has endured, such as a black woman has experienced oppression both as a woman and as a black. Therefore, she is entitled to more protection than a black man or a white woman because she has those multiple. Now, a transgender black woman, boy, you're really getting some uh, oppression there, or a, or a homosexual black woman, lesbian. So, so they, they 
really do this bean counting, it's almost embarrassing to see what external qualities people have and then say that they're entitled to more protection. And, and, and what's really discouraging about this mindset is they look at uh, critical race theory, which says that racism is systemic, that by virtue of my skin color, I'm automatically racist. I, you don't look at the content of my character. You don't look at my heart. You don't look at my conduct. You look at my skin color. And, and especially if I'm a political conservative, I can't possibly be uh, someone who is not a racist and who can possibly understand what oppression other people have gone through. And therefore, I can't even speak for them uh, if, if, if I'm in, in, in these certain categories. And so this is, this is what's happening. We're also seeing it on the idea of patriarchy. The man dominated the woman throughout history. Therefore, men automatically oppress women and, and don't fall for any this idea that women can have equal rights because no matter what you legislate, they're always going to be oppressed. And this is convenient for the left because they've always got classes of victims and classes of victimizers. They've always got people that they can demonize and people they can protect. And it is, a, it is a, I think it's a level of evil that, that is related to spiritual warfare because there is no way that we can ever come out from under these allegations. They're built-in, guaranteed blights on America that we can't atone for, and that's really their attitude. And you'll notice it in everything they talk about. You can't go anywhere. You can't watch a show. You can't watch an award show without these people obsessing on race, gender, sexual orientation. That's all they care about. And that they even wrap that into their uh, Marxist economic ideas, that it's all related to oppression and oppressed and oppressor and victim and victimizer. It's, it's really a negative, sad way to look at the world, and yet that is what drives leftism today. Something that's no secret uh, in American politics today is the fact that how socialism and, I guess, socialist policies, they're um, being painted as something that's you know very great. A good example of this is Bernie Sanders, who pushes Medicare for all unabashedly, and a freshman uh, from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's jumped on that bandwagon pushing Medicare for all. Why do you think this is happening, and why— do they never look at other countries who have adopted similar systems of Medicare for all and they're actually failing, like they're not, they're not serving the people well, of these countries? Well, it's endemic to the socialist mindset to think this is a utopian mindset. Socialists throughout the, 19th, throughout the 20th century uh, believe that socialism, Marxism will work. It just hasn't been tried by the right people. So that when Stalin failed and was tyrannical, he just deviated from Marx and Lenin. When Castro uh, didn't do well, he deviated. However, the left lied about Castro. They glorified him. They deified him. They don't even admit these, the Venezuelan Marxist system is negative. They, they deify it until the point where they just can't deny it anymore. Obama glorified Castro when he died. <laughs> but the left always believes that their ideas, their utopian ideas, uh, are valid and superior. And so it, it's no surprise that they're now uh, going for full-blown socialized medicine. Obama, by the way, before he implemented Obamacare and rammed it down our throats, was on tape 
even before he ran for president, saying we're going to be patient. This is going to be incremental. It may take us 15 years before we get there. And it's and it's it's kind of like the Alinsky strategy or the Cloward Piven strategy, where you build in failure, you 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 introduce some government into a system, totally screw it up, and then blame capitalism, and then offer the solution of more government involvement, more socialism. That's where we are now. These people are full-blown socialists. You might as well call them Marxists. And, and, this, and, and how ridiculous it is, Medicare for all might cost, what, $30, $40, 50000000000000 trillion? And Elizabeth Warren says that she can pay for it by a tax on billionaires, and yet any economist, any, status, uh, any, any person who, who has access to figures and can count and multiply and divide will tell you that you can't, by confiscating all of the wealth, not just part of the wealth, of, a, of all the billionaires in the United States, you couldn't run that cockamamie system for two years, much less fund it at all. And so that's what they're doing. And, and at least Bernie Sanders admits that you can't fund it without – taxing the middle class. Elizabeth Warren denies that she would tax the middle class unless she's recently uh, recanted on that. And so so you just destroy the economy uh, for the crazy idea that you're going to provide coverage for everybody. And by the way, providing health care coverage for everybody doesn't mean good health care. It, me- it might not mean health care at all. It means on paper you're, you're going to cover everybody. But in reality, you reduce quality, you reduce choice, uh, and you increase price, and you increase scarcity, you increase waiting lines, and overall health care goes to hell like it has in every other system with socialized medicine, notwithstanding the propaganda that we hear about socialized medicine in other countries. David, another point you raise in your book is how the left is so obsessed with race while becoming more and more anti-Semitic. And we've seen this most recently with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from Michigan, who supports the anti-Israel boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, where she's decried the racist policies of the government and the state of Israel. Would you say the left is essentially contradicting themselves here? Well, in the first place, I don't buy their professions that they're race cops. I believe they're racist in their, I'm not saying individual racist, but their, their uh, ideology is racist because they focus on race. When all you do is focus on race and patronize minorities and treat minorities as if they're not of equal dignity as made in God's image, then you are treating them essentially as inferior. If you want to perpetuate their economic dependence on government, then you are perpetuating the idea that they can't help themselves and you don't believe they're equal. So at the root of it, I don't believe they are egalitarians as they profess to be. But let's assume, let's take them at their word that they are. Uh, Then why are they as anti-Israel as they are? Why are they, many of them, anti-Semitic? And and we see that in the Women's March movement. There is a strong strain of anti-Semitism in their Women's March. These people support anti-Semitic organizations. And I know that it's not politic to say that being anti-Israel is anti-Semitic, but as a practical matter, it is. Because when you, you would have no reason to be anti-Israel unless you put the Palestinian cause on equal moral footing with Israel. Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, the only uh, nation that is not trying to exterminate its Arab neighbors, and yet all 
of its neighbors believe in exterminating it. Now, some of them have tamped down their their vocal uh, uh, criticism of Israel, but all the the the, the terrorist groups and Palestine, the, the Palestinians, full blown advocate the extermination of Israel. So when you support that BDS movement, you can't tell me that that doesn't ultimately stem from anti-Semitic, uh, an anti-Semitic policy. And there's another strain here that, that why, why are they, why is the left becoming so anti-Semitic? I think there's a connection. It's just a theory. I can't prove it other than anecdotally. But the left is, is egregiously, virulently anti-capitalist. Jews are seen by the left by anti-Semites as the ultimate capitalist. And that's why you see Tlaib or, or Omar, whoever it was, that said it's all about the Benjamins baby when she was accused of saying something negative about Jews. In other words, the dollars. They associate capitalism with Jews. By the way, that's what Hitler did, didn't he? Now, I'm not accusing them of being Hitler. I'm just saying that's the ideological strain that underlies some of this stuff. Jews are the super capitalists, therefore Jews are evil. I just wish secular Jews who predominantly support the Democratic Party would realize that uh, they are not their friends in the end. So given everything we've discussed and all of the problems that we see in our American political society, what steps would you encourage Americans to take to secure our nation and preserve the future for their children and grandchildren? Well, I would encourage them to preserve the the, uh, courage of their conviction and to get in this arena and fight because America America's future, our kids and grandkids and their kids' future, depends on preserving the American idea, American liberty, grounded in our founding documents, which guarantee limited government, and the attack on which diminishes our liberty. And so I would say that they need to arm themselves with the facts and the philosophical underpinnings that drive the left's warped ideology on things from spanning from capitalism to abortion to immigration. We need to help educate young people, especially millennials, who have fallen into the seductive trap that socialism is compassionate and start to judge on the basis of the result of their programs rather than their professed good intentions. And look at the history of socialism which is enslaved and impoverished, which is responsible for killing 100 million people in the 20th century, the the Marxist and socialist regimes. And the purpose of my book, one of the purposes of my book, is to call people to arms, to realize we're in the fight for our lives uh, as Americans, and to provide them intellectual and moral ammunition to take this war of words out, to uh, take this war of words and get in the fight. And I'll just notice something. I'll give you an illustration before I finish this. Just just this week, Chick-fil-A, which has been stalwart and standing up for Christian ideals, and which has not been anti-gay, just opposes same-sex marriage, at least Dan Cathy, its CEO, did. Now they have, as they've expanded beyond the southeast, southeastern United States, they have come under increasing brutal, savage attack by the left, by LBGTQ activists, and so they've now announced, they've cowered and capitulated and said they will no longer support, they will no longer contribute 
to the Christian Charities, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the Salvation Army, which anyone could acknowledge are innocuous, great, Christ-promoting organizations, winning souls for Christ, and now Chick-fil-A, despite all the good it's done, despite all, despite all the courage it has shown, has now cowered. If th- this is an example of how relentless the left is, how unfair it is, how it will demonize people and bludgeon them verbally and otherwise into submission. And it's a lesson of what not to do. So I would call people to do the opposite of what Chick-fil-A has now done and stand up against this leftist, PC, totalitarian, tyrannical bullying and fight for what we believe in, unless you really don't believe in it, unless you don't really care what kind of America you bequeath your kids, because it is that serious. It's an existential struggle, and we'll see how it turns out. But one thing you can be sure is that the left never rests. 24-7, they're on the job. We have to meet them with equal force. We've been talking with David Limbaugh. He's the author of his new book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, Why the Democrats Must Not Win. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, and please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, the Leah Rampersad, and Mark Guiney. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.